Shachtan, an Indo Askelige. Time in Mon Irok the Yen of Chacht Erachor, Agasuligum, a Makan Shaw, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetok, Ara, Igornamion, and Kestian Echo. Vien Talam again Omgrev, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. Remember, you can stay up to date on the latest news with the Irish Independent WhatsApp channel. This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919, 1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Rugby World Cup on the left wing. It is a rematch four years in the making as Ireland take on the All Blacks in Paris on Saturday night in the Rugby World Cup quarterfinal. It could be history made for Andy Farrell's men as they might reach a first ever semi-final or it could be yet another last eight heartbreak. Welcome to the latest episode of the Left Wing Podcast. Will Slattery here and I'm delighted to be joined by Luke Fitzgerald and Jonathan Bradley for our chat tonight and in a little while we'll be hearing from All Blacks legend Justin Marshall to get the view from New Zealand ahead of the massive game on Saturday night but first before we start our chat a reminder that next Thursday week on October 19th the left wing is coming live from the three Olympia theatre myself Luke Stephen Ferris and Bernard Jackman will be there for a great night of analysis and crack Luke I'm very much looking forward to taking the show on the road seeing some of our great listeners Nervous, but uh, if we get a win the weekend, I think hopefully we'll, we'll get a, a few people out to, to support us. We've had really strong, uh, you know, supporters and listeners all the way through the journey uh, that we've been on. We've been on, we've been on for a while, haven't yeah, we? Yeah, I think so it's, it's been seven or eight. Like, so yeah, yeah it'd be, no, it's great be to finally great. get out and about. And hopefully, you know, a lot of people who listen to the show, like the show, will come out and buy tickets. Obviously, as you said, we'll be nervously watching Saturday <laughs> as well as everybody. Yeah. But either that or it's a post-mortem. And look, we will bring a few extra guests as yeah. well. Uh, we're just going to obviously wait and see how this weekend turns out. But um, and we're going to pick someone obviously appropriate, hopefully from... Well, we don't know from, from who yet. Let's not yeah, get ahead we'll of keep, ourselves. We'll keep, Let's not get ahead of ourselves. keep a little air of mystery. But yeah, as I said, Ticketmaster.ie, search the left wing. You can get all the details on how to buy tickets and uh, the details there. And we'd love to see as many of you as possible on Thursday week, October 19th. But for now, we are going to first look back on Ireland versus Scotland before we look ahead to the quarterfinals. And Jonathan is on the line. Jonathan, it was a ruthless performance, comprehensive victory, 30 minutes and the game was pretty much over. So much impressive stuff from Ireland. What stood out to you the most? Yeah, you, you use that word ruthless and I think uh, that's a huge part of it because if you compare the game and you look at the scoreboard and the vast difference between Ireland and Scotland, that wasn't reflected in the 22 entries. So Ireland really made the most of all their chances to blow Scotland away and then, you know, the game's talked up so much. We talked last week about whether Scotland were putting pressure on themselves but regardless of what they were doing, they came into that game having talked up their own chances of victory. And it really felt like after 10, 15 minutes, those chances were gone. Like, you know, Ireland had scored. It was that massive defensive set. I think it was 18 phases. It was really, really impressive. That was obviously hugely demoralizing. Scotland came in with doubts about their line-out. They get one down in the corner. Peter O'Mahony gets up and pinches it. Now, the, the ball bounces out. Jameson Gibson Park couldn't just keep it in, but... Again, that just sowed that seeds of seed of doubt around their set piece. And then, you know, we talked about the 6-2 split as well. And Scotland obviously lost it back early doors. So it really felt like in that sort of first 15 minutes, the game went exactly as Ireland would want, exactly as Scotland wouldn't want. And I think uh, the players and Andy Farrell deserve huge credit for really making it a non-contest so early in the game. Yeah, look, it's funny a point Jonathan makes there about the 22 entries. Because I saw like Ireland, I think, set the record for the most tackles they've ever made in a World Cup game. And yet they were utterly dominant in the scoreboard. And it didn't feel like they were, you know, by that kind of opening quarter. 
under a huge amount of pressure. But it was it was an interesting game from that point of view. But in terms of things that Jonathan said or anything that stood out to you, like you know what what kind of caught your eye? Yeah, look, I I think what what was um, pretty stark, I think, was actually the difference between both packs. I think if you if you see so like Jonathan talked about some of those lineouts and how demoralizing they were. Yes, Peter Mahoney got up uh, on a, for for a few great steals. He had a brilliant match. Delighted for him on his hundredth cap. Would have been a, an emotional day. Glad it went so well for him. But leaving that aside, in a few of those moments, a few nice timely turnovers, they managed that Scotland mall really, really well. And that's a really difficult thing to do nowadays. I mean, most teams that can't score tries uh, or haven't got unbelievably potent backs, they rely very heavily on that mall. It's very hard to like once you're set, and they had a few good sets. I thought uh, Ireland's defence was brilliant in that area. And they were very brave against South Africa there as well. So that was really pleasing. I thought that showed the difference in the packs. Uh, I felt like I was pretty surprised that Scotland were so demoralised after Ireland uh, stopped like long attacking phases. You know, yeah. usually that happens. Like how paper thin was this bravado that they were putting for before <laughs> the game that like, and by the end of the first half, you know, the, the, the penalties were racking up, you know, they, they, they collapsed so quickly. That's what I thought too. Yeah. And I, I, I was actually really, really surprised. I just thought, given the, the game that was in it, given how tight the match was, well, it wasn't it was tight enough, I suppose, in, in Murrayfield this year as well. Uh, I just felt like they'd put up more of a fight. And I just think uh, I was so, so disappointed with it. Some of the defence was absolutely atrocious. Basic, basic errors. You can't do that against this Irish team. They're just too many good attacking players. As I said, we're, you know, I, I, I'm sure we'll allude to later on, I always think New Zealand have been the standard bearers in terms of ball handling. I actually think Ireland are the standard bearers for that now. So the ball always finds a defender that's that's taken a second off. And I would have thought that would have been drilled into this Scotland team. But, you know, after they had long bouts of uh, periods, uh, periods, sorry, periods with the ball, um, I just thought they just didn't recover at all and weren't able to, you know, get that energy up for big defensive sets themselves. And Ireland just walked through them at times. And I just felt like it, it was very, very disappointing. I expected it to be a tighter game, even though I was close enough on the, on, on the points. That's always a bit of a lottery in fairness in terms of what you pick. Uh, that game was was way further apart than I thought the scoreline uh, depicted, to be honest with you. I thought they were soft tries we gave away. Yeah, I think Jonathan actually came closest in his prediction of the Irish Independent in terms of getting the scoreline right. Myself and Rory O'Connor were just behind them by a point or two uh, with our predictions. And Jonathan, in terms of, you know, you made a good point a few weeks ago when you said that, you know, when we're sitting here and we're chatting with the Irish team, we might not necessarily look at them as an ultra-physical team in terms of the top end of the game. But when they're playing a team like Scotland, it really does stand out that like Ireland bullied them. Like the defensive stand at the very start of the game, they were driving them back with each and every hit. And then I think it culminated was that the one when maybe Kellen Doris got a really good rook turnover. It was just really stark. I'm even listening to um, Johnny Beatty on the BBC uh, podcast. I saw a video on, on Twitter earlier. He, he was kind of saying that Ireland completely beasted Scotland in the physical stakes. And when Ireland play a team like that, they really, it really does show kind of the point you were kind of making a few weeks ago, I think. Yeah, like I think 100%. Like bullied, I think, is a good word because that's what Ireland did. And I think if you, again, look across in the Scottish media and stuff, it is, again, just talking about the physicality of Ireland being their point of difference. And I think a huge part of it, of the way that we're looking at Ireland, does come through history, but it also comes a little bit through the fact that I think that we know Ireland are going to have to beat a France or a South Africa if they want to win the World Cup. And it's, I suppose, traditionally we're looking at those teams as being more physical. So it's, again, why we're talking about it. But yeah, bullied is 100% the right word. And then the Scotland performance, it was just, there was some really like heads gone stuff in there. You know, in a World Cup game of that magnitude, to get a yellow card for a trip, like, that's madness. And then... Schoolman's reaction. Schoolman was so lucky not to get... How he was not carded for that, for pushing Sheehan over the hoarding, I'll never know. Mm, but it, well, it, sorry, it was, it was quite timely the trip after the David Beckham documentary was just released I thought they actually had lots of similarities like the ball wasn't even in play like it was absolutely ridiculous that whole setup I think summed up their kind of like false bravado like so Ollie Smith does a real cheap trip on Sexton Sexton gives him a small shove and just being like mate what are you doing mm. all of a sudden the lads are piling in with their chests out like <laughs> schooling is you and, can't hide your hatred for, for the it's, Scots it's not hatred <laughs> it's not hatred at all and it, it, it's more like baffled amusement like because we teed this up last week like their comments yeah. in the media and this was before Blair Kinghorn came out with the most bullish comment and the funny thing is O'Mahony referred to it almost immediately in his post-match he was like re- they were, it obviously, I was kind of surprised at that I, it I obviously assume... really, but it obviously really focused their minds As we, I, I said that last week I'd say Andy Farrell was loving the comments oh, I, I completely agree because I was look, having a conversation with someone else about this today and I was kind of th- thinking about they were asking me actually in the context of the New Zealand game 
you know, will Ireland be thinking about what the New Zealand guys are saying in the press? Are there extra things that that'll motivate them for, for this game? And I just thought, no, it's New Zealand, it's quarterfinal, where I actually think it might have played, played a part in, in the pre-match kind of geeing up of players was probably the Scotland game, where you were worried about there being a little bit of complacency, which we're, we're obviously not going to have, I think, this weekend. Um, because Scotland, you could easily forgive this team for thinking, oh, we're just going to roll up play, we could play 70% and still get get over the line here. Um, and obviously, he must have used some of that because for Peter O'Mahony to be, for that to be on the tip of his tongue and nearly, you know, he, he wasn't really even prompted that hard on that. No, he brought he it up, brought it up himself nearly. So he obviously wanted to say like, you know, your card is marked there. So yeah, look, it was it was very disappointing for Scotland. I think um, they they should be a better team than they showed, but they just couldn't deal. I'm actually, I'm really glad you brought up the point Jonathan made a couple of weeks about how physical Ireland are. Um, but to add to that, I would say Ireland were, were very smart and clinical too. Like they changed what they did at the line out from an attacking perspective. They got very, very conservative there and just said, you know what? Let's just get the ball. Let's get the ball. Let's not get too jazzy. Um, and try set phase. Let's just get our confidence back up. Let's have a really clean bill of health line out wise. I thought they did that extremely well. Um, and I think they knew once they got the ball in play, they actually didn't need to have unbelievably crisp ball from the back of the line out to break Scotland down. Um, and I thought as well in, in general play, the accuracy at rook time was brilliant, but also the ball handling ability and everyone's everyone's hunger to be in the right positions to give options. If you look at the like of Mac Hansen, who we hope is back fit, yeah, for Gary Ringrose to go through before the first uh, Keenan try, you can see him. He works really hard around the corner. Brian just got a lovely little bit on his Twitter uh, on it, or X, whatever we're calling it. <laughs> and um, just getting into position, working really hard, but you can see him pointing at, at Ringrose to go through and throw the dummy. You know, he, like, he's just so in tune with the game, as is low, as was Ringrose to, to pick it off. Um, and I just thought that they, they were the kind of key differences for me. I just thought Ireland were very, very clinical on top of being really, really physical. And it was a really nice combination. The problem for them now is they're going to need to go to another level. And I think the only real issue I see with them actually delivering that is whether you know, is, is the injuries. And I'm sure we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that. One of the potential issues <clears throat> that I've seen people raise, Jonathan, and I don't agree with it, but I want to get both your opinions on it. And this is kind of, uh, you know, 10 Ireland players, well, we haven't seen the team for the weekend, but 10 Ireland players have started the first four matches. You know, in contrast, you know, we talked to Justin Marshall earlier. People will hear from him in a couple of minutes. He, he was kind of lamenting the fact that they played their big game in week one and haven't really been tested since. You know, did Ireland flag a little against Scotland in the second half? Like, you know, the game was kind of done, so I'm not really reading too much into it. But people have said it that potentially there's too many minutes in some of these legs ahead of what's going to be, hopefully, a three-game stretch now in the knockout stages. Like, where do you weigh in on that kind of argument or theory? Yeah, I saw it there uh, there today, actually. And I it's interesting, but personally, I think if you look at the way Ireland manage their players, not through the past five weeks but like everything that Ireland do is geared towards being ready to play for the national team essentially they've got the best player management in the world through central contracts so it's not something to be particularly worried about I would chalk it down more to the fact just that the game was won the game got a little bit ragged the defensive shape you know they got they came out of it a wee bit the TV cameras probably didn't help too much because Ian, Ian Henderson did look gassed on that Scotland try when the guy went outside him I suppose in a position where he wouldn't have wanted to be defending anyway but um, I just think it's one of those things that this happens every World Cup where we have this debate about what's a good way for the fixtures to fall and in reality our perception of it is normally coloured by who goes on to win but personally sitting here now I'd be happier with Ireland having had a big game not as big a game as we thought it might be, but having had that test seven days ago, when given how the Italy-New Zealand game went, I think New Zealand might be feeling like they haven't had that sort of test since the France game, and that was over a month ago now. So I'd rather be in Ireland's position than New Zealand, no matter how it really looked in the last 20 of the Scotland game. Yeah, like I don't really see how they could be you know, flagging, given that it's the start of a new season. Yes, they played, a lot of lads have played four matches in a row, but Romania was a complete turkey shoot that wouldn't have been very physically taxing. Tonga was a medium turkey shoot. Yes, at Africa was ultra physical, but they had a week off after that. I'm sure the bench was emptied after 50 minutes against Scotland. So I just don't get why they wouldn't be in prime peak physical condition to really have a run at obviously this game and then if they win subsequent matches after that like you know what, what? yeah no I think you're right no I, I, look it, it definitely I, I caught, it's, we obviously are all watching we obviously all have the same feet <laughs> and we're, we're looking at the same things because I saw that too and I was thinking oh I wonder about that and 
yeah, look, it is. I, I think probably the, the key thing for me was, um, you know, maybe the the key injuries to, like, to, to, to say, I think Ryan will be very important to get him back. I think he's really important to, to your bench, um, you know, and I would love to see him get back. Um, I think that'll be important for Aaron just from a leadership standpoint as well. Even if he doesn't go straight into the team, he's on the bench. Uh, you know, he'd be a guy I'd like to see, you know, come through, which we're not 100% sure. That doesn't sound unbelievably positive. We didn't see him out there today, but hopefully he makes a big turnaround. Um, and Hanson and Lowe have become very important to this Irish attack, you know. So they're two guys. Look like Lowe was training today. Looks like he'll be back. But Hanson with a calf, that's a really quick turnaround in a week with something like that. So look, we hope that I'm sure the Irish physios are, are, are working <laughs> pretty hard to try and get everyone back in. in gear in terms of the minutes played I would agree I actually think Ireland I think the week off after South Africa is very very important for this team and I think it actually timed it perfectly and I agree with both of you I think I'd much rather be in Ireland's position having played Scotland because despite the game being a little bit ragged particularly in the middle um, and Scotland getting over for a few soft tries um, there were still patches in that game where they had to work very very hard um, and, they, and you know Scotland are still a, a difficult team to beat I mean like Italy were all over the place. Barely made a tackle all day. Um, so you just really don't know where you sit after that one. So yeah, and the last big game, as you say, they played was against France, which they lost, you know, not comfortably, but they definitely, you know, France didn't even get out of second 14 points. They are, yeah, but there was a period there where that could have gone two ways, I think. And look, it didn't. But, um, you know, I just feel like New Zealand, you know, if they really think about it, will be thinking, mm, we've just played France, you know, South Africa and France and we lost both you know, relatively comfortably on the scoreboard. So what they have to go back to in terms of recent form is certainly not the same as Ireland who are really coming in in good health. And I do think Ireland will have the legs. Taking the likes of Johnny Sexton off after, was it 46 minutes or something like that? Was it something like yeah, that? Early like that was, a, that was a blessing. That was oh, a proper blessing. I had visions of this him like tweaking a hamstring in the first minute of the second half when the game was won and it's been like, oh God. Oh, I was roaring at the they TV. They should have whipped him off. Drag him time. off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was great that Ireland put themselves in a position to be able to do that because he's the he's probably the key guy where you say well no he, you know he definitely doesn't need any extra minutes he's just going we, he's up to speed now we know what we're going to get from him and you know the more rest we can get him the, the better I think do you know I actually think he's primed for a big performance he's been really really good so far but I still think that like he hasn't have to really take charge of a game yet just the way that they've unfolded yes there was that great build up to the Hanson try against South Africa when he was kind of quarterbacking oh, I that was sublime he, he had some brilliant moments but I still with. feel that like he has another gear to hit in this World Cup. Like I don't know. I'm not. I thought he was outstanding against South Africa. And I thought Yo, I'm he, not saying yeah. he hasn't played well. No, no, I'm not, yeah, I'm yeah. not saying that. But I just feel like South African game plan is very, very different to. Like I think they've decided, from what I hear, that they've decided that they're not going to go beyond two or three phases if they're heading backwards against South Africa. So that means you can have a lot of kicks that look fairly ordinary. But I thought he picked and chose, like he picked and chose his moments really, really well on that one, and actually guided the team through some very, very difficult patches uh, in, a, in, in what is, I still think, possibly, I think it's probably the most difficult test, even though France are probably might, might be better. But South Africa pose is just, it's just slightly it's different. different. challenge. It is a different yeah. challenge, you know, and particularly for nine and 10, like that pack is on top of you all day and that pressure, no one else comes up as hard or as, I think it's kind of like, it's kind of flagrant. Like they just, they just keep coming up at you. It's really, really difficult to make decisions like that against big physical players. I thought he was outstanding all day in, in that game. I, I do agree. There's more in him. There's certainly a few more big performances in him, but I thought that was a huge one, to be honest with you. I, I was so impressed with him against uh, South Africa. Well, we're going to turn our attention towards the All Blacks game on Saturday night now, and we're going to hear from New Zealand legend Justin Marshall and get his thoughts ahead of the big game. Thanks for having me on, mate, and uh, good to chat. Uh, look, I, there's no doubt in my mind that there, there's some key players for the All Blacks that really need to step up. Now, uh, Ireland are a fluid, efficient machine, and, and they are they're the best defensive team in the world. Uh, they're, they're very good at accumulating points when they apply pressure or make line breaks. So what you need to do against teams like that is be incredibly patient. Now, Ireland bring a similar-style defence uh, as France and South Africa, which New Zealand don't cope with, and, and have shown that they, when the field is narrowed and you can see space in the outside channels, New Zealand in the past panicked. It's like, well, there's the space, and they've tried to get it there too quickly without being patient first. So I think first and foremost, that's something that they really need to mentally make, them, make sure that they don't feel that they have to rush a situation and, and panic into... Trying to trying to score when the opportunity appears to be there, to take the opportunity when it's the right time. That that's key for them. Like in terms of key individuals for me, 
look, the way that the Irish back row are playing and, and in general the forward pack, someone like Shannon Frizzell and Artie Savier in that back row, you know what you're going to get out of the likes of Ritalik and, and Whitelock and um, Scott Barrett. They, they, they go to front, they go to work all day, they've got big engines, so that they'll provide. And the front row will work hard and Cody Taylor will get around the field. Like that, That's all going to happen. But when it comes down to those sort of little micro um, moments in the game, that's that's when your key guys and the loose forwards really need to st- step up. Like I said, Omani's playing probably the best rugby of his life. So when he's in over the ball, you know, guys like Artie Savier and Shannon Frizzell need to physically remove him. And, and they need to physically remove Funder Flair. That, that's a key that's a key battle for me. Um, equally, in the back line, I know that functionally the All Blacks will be good. Um you know, from, from nine outwards, Aaron Smith will provide, Mwanga will provide, Geordie Barrett will give you the, the punch you need in the midfield. But Bowden Barrett's key to me. Ireland have got a really clever strategic kicking game. Um, they territorially have a really good sound idea of where they want to play. Uh, and Bowden Barrett at times to me, when he's faced with that aggressive outside in defence and the game gets uh, slightly insular and, and the field looks narrow to him, he kicks the ball away, and he doesn't do it without thinking and thinking about getting it back. For me, if he can play well from the back, step up as a first receiver or second receiver, control Ireland's kicking game by being in a good position um, and being competitive in the air, and this is all assume he's going to be picked, but I know Ian Foster pretty well, and I think he'll pick him at fullback. Not that I agree with it. Those those three guys, Sevier, Rizal, Bowden Barrett, to me, are pivotal. Yeah, good point you make about Artie Sevilla. He almost single-handedly turned that series in New Zealand back in 2022. He was absolutely amazing, yeah. even, even in defeat for the All Blacks. And obviously he touched on a, a number of key players. What about Joe Schmidt in the coach's box? Obviously from an Irish perspective, we're very interested in terms of what he's bringing to the setup and the role he might play and try to unpick the Irish team this weekend. Like, How important a figure is he in terms of New Zealand's chance of success, do you think? I think he's important, but we've also got to be very mindful as a team that we can't over-focus on, on Ireland and, and what they, they do really well. I, I think it's very evident and it doesn't take um, you know, a, a brain surgeon to work out that they are going to be good in certain areas. I think Ireland have got it's hard to say this and people go, what the hell are you talking about? But in terms of short passing game, I think they've got the best short passing game in the world. And I know that's come from Andy Farrell. He, he, I was playing with Andy at Saracens, and then he retired, and I was still playing, which is ridiculous because he was younger <laughs> than me, but he wanted out. And then he became our skills coach. And I can tell you now, he was regimented and meticulous on passing. Passes out in front, making sure that the time with the ball in the hand is only for a split second. Transition passes, when they have width on them, they allow the defence to come to you. Ireland between uh, uh, Gibson Park, Johnny Sexton, Bundyaki, Ringrose, when they even the wingers coming in, when Hanson and Lowe come in, and I'm not sure if Hanson's going to be fit, but anyway, they can they can put three, four passes in a 15 meter space to really hurt defenders, and 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 that's that that to me is is something that I, I feel Joe Schmidt will know about, but I think that's part of Andy Farrell's innovation and what he's brought to Ireland. So. Joe Schmidt will only be seeing it like everyone else is from the exterior. He wouldn't have, I don't think Ireland were playing like that when he was involved. What he does know about is the defence, and that's key. He knows what the defence is trying to do to you when you've got the ball and, and, and when, you're, when you're attacking. They're trying to make you feel like you have no momentum and the only option that you've got is to kick the ball away because they feel that you feel like you're, you're going to make an error in your own zone or you're going to concede a penalty and that'll concede points and and I feel that Joe Schmidt can educate the All Blacks on exactly the way Ireland defend and what they're trying to push you into mentally to make bad decisions which the All Blacks have regularly done against that style of defence and so they have to climb a big mountain to get their mindset right and understand what what that defence does to you and, and I think Joe's probably going to have a major uh, contribution in that more so than anything else as they prepare this weekend for this weekend. 
Yeah, really interesting. Completely agree. And I think Ireland, from from my mind, I think, have become, I think, probably the best passing team in the world. I, I just really feel, particularly from mm-hmm. one to eight and the subs that come on the pitch for Ireland, reminds me of old New Zealand teams whereby they always this, the ball always got to the person that was sleeping in the fence or someone that was a yard behind because everyone yeah. on the team could pass yeah. the ball. And to my mind, that's the big strength of this team. So with that in mind... What do you think about the, the kind of defensive side of things? Uh, like, what are you targeting? Are you targeting that rook trying to slow it down or line speed? How do you stop this Irish tap? Because I think that's really what turned the, t- the test series was Ireland's ability to be able to score tries against New Zealand. How do you think the, the, the All Blacks will go about trying to stop Ireland's momentum and attack? I, I think they'll, they would have done heavy research on the teams um, in the last two years in particular when Ireland have been so potent on attack that have caused our island problems with enabling them to get their game plan going. And the problem for, for the New Zealanders and the way that we defend, typically as a nation, is we're, we're a little bit more passive. Like We're not as well-schooled on the uh, out-to-in defence. Now, when Ronan um, came to uh, the Crusaders, they, they had a call where they were able to adjust uh, and... W- so basically, we work on drift defence. When Ronan came in, he said, "Well, hey, have you guys considered thinking about defending outside in and and you know cutting the opposition off?" And like we were like, "No," but <laughs> because it's out of our it's out of our mentality. It's not the way we feel comfortable. Our players like to go inside shoulder and then drift out. We don't want to go outside shoulder and turn in. So it's a major shift and it's a major mental shift. But the Crusaders actually. Uh, when Ronan was here, we're able to implement it quite well. Um, so what you've got to look at is go, okay, when, when South Africa brought good line speed to Ireland, to a degree, they slightly shut them down. The big thing that Ireland did, though, was when that, that when they were struggling a little bit, they recognised that, that that pressure was coming, and that's when Bundy stepped up. And and I think Johnny probably recognised it as well and went, that they, they are suffocating us centre-out and so they just went short, short pass, short pass, bang, and Bundy went through, made a massive line break, bang, he made game line, and then all of a sudden the defence is on its heels. So, look, an answer to your question, you know, what, what did New Zealand do to stop it? It's hard when you've got intelligent players that recognise both styles of defence and they adapt and adjust. But you can't, rep- you can't replace that type of intellect. You know, that just comes... With experience, Johnny Sexton's got, I don't know, 70, 80 more caps than someone like Richie Moonga. So he recognised that South Africa were bringing that to them and they started going short and they brought James Lowe in as a second receiver, first receiver, and that kind of confused South Africa. So I think what, in answer to your question, and I know this is, I've, I've said a lot, but it's basically, it is basically going, recognising what, what they are doing and how they adjust and adapt to the way you defend them and you shifting again and and, 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 and and continually making them have to adjust because that puts you out of that puts Ireland out of rhythm. It's like, okay, now we've got to we're punching short, they're turning in on Bundy, they're turning in on our wingers, turning up, you know, right, okay, but there's space on the outside. And then when you adjust, we adjust. Yeah, I know it sounds super complicated, but you know, you've got to get your head around continually asking them questions on attack so that they are not comfortable and in rhythm. They have to adjust the, the areas that they're going to try and break you apart. It's a really interesting tactical breakdown. And before we let you go, Justin, maybe just give you get your prediction. Who's going to win on Saturday night and why? <laughs> Streaming out across Ireland. Jeez, I love my Guinness as well. You know, like big bar out. I won't... I want to be able to walk into a bar, you know, and get a nice, a, a nice Guinness and uh, enjoy and, and enjoy it without uh, pissing everybody off, basically. But look, um, I, I feel that New Zealand need to produce a performance out the gate that they haven't produced in two years. They they need to, I guess, play at a tempo and a physicality that we haven't seen them play at, um, and I haven't seen them play at, and I'm not sure that they can get there with some of the selections they're making, but they are capable capable as individuals to break a game open if they've got confidence and they start the game well to beat any team in the world. But they cannot be ticking away at 85%, 92%. They need to be 95 plus percent 
of their maximum poten- potential to beat Ireland. And I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to get there. I think the pool's been massively harmful to us. We've not, not had enough resistance. Italy tackled at 63%, mate. 63. They fell off 38. Ireland won't miss those tackles. Yes, it made it look good. Everyone's going, oh, New Zealand look amazing. They, they put you know, 90 points on Italy. But Ireland won't miss those tackles. And then all of a sudden, you've got to reset and restart. So, look, I've got to say New Zealand, don't I, mate? And, and, and you know that, Luke, you, Luke, you, you know You were almost well, talking you yourself the out thing. of it there. <laughs> I know, I, I know. But I, but I want, to, I want to paint the picture that I, I'm not entirely convinced. Mm. But I've got to say that I, can, I, I, I hope and in my heart really wish that New Zealand will find that performance because they're going to need it. I feel they're playing the best team in the world and the best team that's made a statement at the Rugby World Cup. And the only way that you can beat them is to play play out of your skin. And uh, they've got that in them, but they need it now. They need it right now. So my prediction is New Zealand, but uh, as you can see, I'm not totally convinced that that's going to happen. Well, Justin, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the game this weekend. Yeah, I certainly will. It's going to be an absolute belter of a weekend. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really appreciate it. So some great insights there from Justin Marshall, especially on the tactical battle. Jonathan, you know, you know, I asked this question before the South Africa game. I'm going to ask it again now. If Ireland are to win this Saturday and we're back here again next week discussing it, how do you think the game plays out from an Irish perspective? I think it'll be an awful lot of what we've seen already from this Ireland team, but we know that they're going to need to be better at it so I think the breakdown is obviously going to be really important I think Luke mentioned the uh, the accuracy around the ruck against Scotland and I think they're really really going to need that I think you know so many games do but I think this is one that's going to be decided just in that area you know the contact area on the deck I think Ireland are well equipped to deal with that if you look at you know the way Keelan Doris is playing the way Andy Porter is influencing the breakdown even seen James Lowe have a big influence at the breakdown, Van der Flyer as well, obviously. So I think just the accuracy around there, I think, is gonna be is gonna be huge. And obviously we're recording this on Tuesday. Um team will be announced on Wednesday, but it's really about hoping that at least one of those uh, two wingers comes through as well. Hmm. From your perspective, anything you want to add there in terms of like game plan going well for Ireland, Ireland get out on the right side of the result. What what will we see? Do you think? I, I think the rook. I think if you if Joe Schmidt is thinking about Ireland, if you're watching Ireland, if you're watching, you know, you know Leinster as well, um, and I'm sure they will have been uh, if they watched the Test matches back last year, which I think they'd be crazy not to, or at least you know at least to gain some kind of insights. Um, I I think, and we we asked obviously Justin Marshall what he thought. Um, I was trying to get maybe at whether the, whether it's kind of chicken and egg for them. I, I think there is a bit of that. I think, you know, do you, do, you, do you come up and put pressure on this Irish team and force handling errors or do you attack the rook? Um, and I probably think they should be attacking the rook. I think New Zealand's defence can be a little bit suspect. And off the back of that, I would be trying to slow down uh, the Irish ball. I think they've got too many good decision makers, too many. We talked about the short passing game, how good Ireland are there. If you can slow it down, it just t- change the complexion of that. And Ireland, you know, like any other team, if you're, if you're you know, if you're kind of stagnant or heading backwards, uh, very difficult to make good decisions. And plus, you often have times to have another defender in the line if it's a little bit slower as well. So that's another factor with with, with slowing that ball down. I think that's really key uh, because if Ireland score tries against them, I think Ireland win. Um, I also think, you know, defensively, I thought Ireland really stood up well against uh, against New Zealand uh, last year. I think they need to do that again. I think United need to try and stop them at source, put pressure on them. They're going to have probably two playmakers in Barrett um, and Mwunga likely on the pitch. Aaron Smith's service is outstanding. You need to try and find a way to slow them down. They still have guys like Ioanni uh, who can cut you apart from all over the pitch. And New Zealand will always have that. Um, but if they can stop them in the tight, if they can stop Sevilla, if they can stop Frizzell, if they can stop those guys, Retallick, in the tight exchanges, um, that goes a long way to kind of stuttering New Zealand. And oftentimes you'll find they kick the ball, which I think will suit us. I think we're good in the air. Um, the interesting thing from a New Zealand perspective is whether they try and attack us in the air. Because um, I think we should be attacking them there. I'd be looking to get under Barrett's skin. I know he's, a, he's probably an all-time great of the game, but if he's a fullback, 
100% on putting balls up on him. And I think the two New Zealand wingers aren't unbelievably good in the air either. So um, I would be trying to attack them in those areas and making sure I'm watertight defensively. Because I think sometimes with New Zealand, you know, you can kind of sit back and admire all the, all the fancy play you need to get up in their space because they will win collisions. They've got great athletes still. But if you can make those collisions happen a little bit further back, you don't need to dominate them all, Will. That's the big thing. It's kind of similar to South Africa and France, the big teams with the big, like the great athletes. Just make sure the collisions happen a bit further back. Um, it goes without saying, Ireland line-out is absolutely key in this one for, for, for Ireland. They've got to, got to get line-out ball again. And I actually wouldn't be unbelievably surprised if they were to a similar tactic of just making sure they win that bloody ball. Because if they do that and they have their hands on the ball against New Zealand, I feel like they can break them down. Jonathan, if I'm doing a kind of heavyweight boxing style tail of the tape between the two teams, I'm looking at current form lines. Ireland have a stronger form line. Beat South Africa, beat Scotland, unbeaten in the pools. New Zealand lost heavily to France in the opening game. Form lines over the last two years, Massive tick in Ireland's favour as well. Well, they've won 28 of 30. New Zealand have been heavily defeated by South Africa. Ireland twice by double digits over there. If you go down the two team sheets as well, like this is sacrilegious to say almost looking at an All Blacks team, but there's not that many players I would take on that team and swap them in for an Irish counterpart. The head coach, I think it's no contest in terms of Andy Farrell, Neen Foster. I feel like if I covered the name New Zealand and just took everything else on its merits, I would be going into this game and I'm already pretty bullish. And I actually have a book fight to the final as well. So I'm, I'm very bullish. <laughs> You're but, uh, going all in. <laughs> I've already gone all in. But, sorry, you better but, be right. <laughs> but I'm just looking at these things in isolation. Obviously, people can disagree with the few points I've made there. But I, I think it's quite comprehensively favorable. Obviously, it depends what happens over 80 minutes. But the kind of the, the, the mood music, the, the kind of the signals before this game look to be pointing one direction. Well, that's why Ireland are favorites. Well, you know, like as strange as it seems to say, like, you know, Ireland are the bookies' favourites. This isn't the case that we had four years ago where Ireland were talking up their chances and we maybe uh, foolishly believed them and there was a sort of groundswell here that Ireland were going to beat the All Blacks in a World Cup quarterfinal. This is across the board. This is why everybody who's been watching this World Cup thinks that Ireland are going to win. And it's it's really, really incredible how rare that is. You know, there was a piece in the New Zealand media there during the week that since sports betting became legal in New Zealand, the All Blacks have played 359 games. They've been underdogs in five of them. And all five were away to South Africa. So that's how rare this is. The New Zealand are actually underdogs, not going into a game against Ireland, but going into a game against anyone. And I think a huge part of that will fuel the belief. I think another thing that fuels Ireland's belief is going to be how unfamiliar a lot of these players are with World Cup quarterfinals, how unfamiliar a lot of the players are with this long losing streak against the All Blacks. You know, the likes of Keenan, Doris, Porter, Sheehan, for different reasons, Lowe and Hansen. Like, you know, 111 years of losing to the All Blacks means nothing to those guys now. They've beat them more than they've lost to them. So there's an incredible shift in both camps in terms of mentality and the psychology around this game. It's a real fascinating part of the build-up to it. But it's exactly as you say. It comes down to the 80 minutes. So we're not talking about Ireland are going to get to the semi-final because they should. They have to go out and show it and they have to go out and do it in the 80 minutes because this is not a team like... While it's not a historically great All Blacks team, it's still a team that's good enough to beat you if you don't go and put your best out there. Like for me, they're the fourth best team here, but like the fourth best team, the gap to the third best team is considerably smaller than the gap from the fourth best team to the fifth best team. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Like I'm confident of Ireland winning, but that confidence is predicated on Ireland delivering, and that's one thing. That besides 1991, when your dad played Luke, that no Ireland team who's played a quarterfinal can say they've. That's, they lost by a point that day. Every other quarterfinal defeat has been by 15 points or more. The last three quarterfinals that Ireland have defeated, they've never actually played well in any of them. That's what's so frustrating about this quarterfinal record is that not only have they lost every game, but by that one occasion, they actually haven't delivered. Is there any... Would you have any kind of concerns just about that kind of that baggage? Like, I know this team doesn't seem to be affected by it in any way, shape or form. And I don't think it'll rear its head at the weekend. But at the same time, we've never gotten past the quarterfinals. Like, there has to be maybe some little intangible worry that that could seep in, or is there? Well, it's, it's tangible. Like, it's happened, oh, yeah. you know? So I think it's kind of, you know, it's it's not, uh, you know, 
you don't have to go back that far to see really good Irish teams having played well the year before World Cup and then, you know, pretty much collapsing in, in, in quarterfinals. Um, you know, and even even that even that match that my father played in, in, in the quarterfinal 91, I mean, they just didn't clear the ball at the end. Like, you know, like big moments, you know, and basically, you know, the la- you can see the last minute try against, you know, albeit a way better Australia team, brilliant team. But, um, you know, like that would have been overachieving that one, winning that one, you know, probably wrong nearly. That was Michael Lyon and Johnny yeah, the like, at his best, you know, <laughs> off of Hengawe when he was young. Like, look, leaving all that aside, you know, I, I do think this team has a way they play. And I think they have all, most of the personnel that they need to deliver on that um, at perfect stages of their career. You probably would like Johnny Sexton in a couple of years ago, but generally speaking, He's you playing know, better now than he, he did in 2019. Brilliant like he's, he's better for him now than he was at the last rugby. He's playing brilliant rugby. You think about Ireland's bench, and this, I think, is probably a key factor in the game as well. Most of those guys are playing very, very well. Really, really well. You know, I think, uh, you know, Kelleher's throwing was a little bit dodgy, but I think he, he, I think he gets that right. And he did get a few right before he went off, I thought. Um, now, Sheehan, obviously, I think is playing a little bit better than him, but Murray's playing great rugby. You have options there. You've got Conan probably coming in there, who's very fresh. You've got Baird there. You've got loads of options on this bench. You've got even McCarthy, if, you know, say you decide to go a different way uh, on, on the bench. I don't think they will, but he's playing very well as well. So Ireland have lots of options there. Henshaw looks like he's back as well. That that could be a key factor in this game as well that we probably haven't discussed. Um, and even Crowley, I think, looks like he's set for a massive career. Looks built for the big stage. Looks physical enough to last the pace. So I just think all the tools are there. I believe. I think this coaching staff has a great way of not offloading pressure, but embracing pressure. And I think they'll probably be able to, they have so far been able to get the team to deliver on the big stage. Now, I know England wasn't a great performance, but they still got the job done in, in highly pressurized circumstances in the Six Nations. If so, they play like that on Saturday, they lose. 100%. Like, so um, I wouldn't but, be going to that no, one necessarily. No, 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 I'm just saying that they still they still won the game with, yeah. you know, and it was a stodgy enough one. England made that fairly stodgy and I think, um, you know, they still got through it. So I think this team has the, has the, has the ability to do that because this New Zealand team they're not vintage as uh, Jonathan alluded to. So they could, it could be a stodgy one. It could be a nervy one. Both teams could want it that little bit too much. It could be one of those really kind of finals type footy games, if you know what I mean. And I still see Ireland having the ability to come out in, in one of those type of games where it's not all the flash, where no one delivers and all the fancy ball handling and, and there's big you know tries from 40, 50 out. So I just think lots, there's lots of ways I see this Ireland team winning. And I think the only way they don't is if they show up at 85%. Funny, just uh, as a complete aside, the England game, that's one of the few times I actually think Andy Farrell got the preparation a little bit wrong. I think it was built up almost too much. All the families being at the team run on the Friday, it just became this massive, we're Ireland finally going to win a Grand Slam on home soil. It, just, it almost became too big of a coronation or kind of a, the pressure on to deliver. And I think maybe the, that little anxiety you saw in the first half was maybe down to that. But, you know, obviously they won the game anyway, so it, it worked out in the end. One question, last one on, on the mentality. You played in the quarterfinal in 2015. Do you remember, like, were you just focusing on the here and now beating Argentina or was there any thoughts in your own head or do you, did you detect anything in the squad about that quarterfinal pressure generally? Like, uh, I, Do you know what? I think that was always, I always talk about this one, like, if you think about the personnel that we lost um, in that one, like, obviously my situation was different because I was fuming that I was sitting on the bench. I just knew I should have been playing. Um, but leaving that aside, uh, sorry, that did focus my mind uh, a lot. You know, Jared Payne, Johnny Sexton, Peter Manny, Sean O'Brien, Paul O'Connell all out of that game. If you took the equivalent out of the New Zealand team, which was an unbelievable team, you took Carter, you took uh, Conrad Smith, you took Retallick, you took McCaw, and you took uh, Kaino out, they'd be a very different team too. You know, when you put it that way, I think that's probably, that does show you, like Schmidt gets tired with this brush and look, 19 was not a good performance and I thought he had some bad selection mistakes there. Um, but other than that, he got tired with a bad brush in 15. Like that was a really difficult thing for, for any team to, to have to try and deal with five of pretty much your best players. And I, I look, to come back to your actual question, I, I just did want to caveat yeah. with that. Um, you know, I was, solely focused on that Argentina team and I, and I think the whole team was as well I just felt like they couldn't, we couldn't really deal with all that change and all the kind of you know the, the, the really key guys missing in what was a massive game against an Argentina team that was outstanding like they actually had a quite a close match with New Zealand in the first match of the tournament their, the first match of their group I think it was 25-16 or something like that so they were a really really good team so we were kind of aware of that too um, still felt we might have had enough if we played you know really really well but I, I know the focus was squarely on them we just probably didn't have enough firepower to, to, to stave them off and, and to contain that attacking threat. They were playing brilliant rugby at the time too. 
Speaking of Joe Schmidt, uh, Jonathan, like Luke mentioned there, and you kind of talked about how the rivalry has kind of been redefined and no one did more for that than Joe Schmidt getting the first win in Chicago, following that up in 2018. And now he's on the other side with the All Blacks this time around. And it, it's such an interesting, you know, I'd love to get his opinion, Jonathan, of when he listens to these interviews coming out of Ireland camp, Ireland players discussing his camp and despite all the success they had, the, the issues they had with it, what he must think of the legacy he's left in terms of like, it, it's not the most effusive kind of look back, is it, on, on how he coached the team or, or the environment he fostered? No, well, I think we know for sure you're not never going to get Joe's actual opinion on uh, most things, certainly not that. But um, I think it's actually really interesting the way the Schmidt era is now being framed. And it's largely being framed because of those snippets of player quotes. But I don't think the players that are giving these bits and pieces to the media, I don't think they mean to sort of disregard what Joe Schmidt did. But because of the success that Andy Farrell's had and because of the way 2019 ended, there's almost this like revisionist history that like Joe Schmidt wasn't brilliant for Irish rugby. And it's a really, really curious thing because if you remember whenever Joe was leaving the post, you know, he did that sort of, I suppose, lap of honor at the end when his book came out and he was still being faded for everything that he'd done for Irish rugby. And it's only really over the last couple of years that it feels like that narrative has shifted. But like, to me, it's just really, really bizarre that it's happening because how, whatever way it ended and, you know, his tenure with Ireland probably peaked in 2018 and they didn't get the succession planning right because obviously Farrell was announced um, as taking over probably too early with the year before the World Cup. But like, Whenever you look at Joe Schmidt's achievements, like back-to-back Six Nations titles, that hadn't been done since 1949. First win in South Africa. Grand Slam, whenever they had to play England away and France away. And of course, beating the All Blacks for the first time. So it's just a really, really strange element to this game. And I suppose to the discourse around Irish rugby over the last two years, that it does seem like people are trying to minimize what Joe Schmidt did here and there is that real contrast between Farrell and Schmidt's styles and I think that plays a big part in it but there's nothing to say that the success that Ireland are having now they would be having without the work that Joe Schmidt did in in Irish rugby over a really really long period of time yeah, completely agree. Like, I think he's been very misrepresented the last uh, the last couple of weeks. I, I, I have to say always unbelievably impressed with Joe uh, his knowledge of the game and his ability to break down teams break down his own team figure out what they're good at what they're not good at and be able to play and implement a style that suits them um, you know his understanding of the just the pure rugby about what's important about making you successful uh, and then his ability to break down teams and you know the way he could kind of foresee who was going to be in a certain position and how you might be able to manipulate that person unbelievable and there's no way he hasn't had a massive impact you think about all the key guys in this Irish team they all played under Joe Schmidt and they are the guys who are really driving this forward combined with some new faces in there so I would feel like it's one of those things like you know the, the coach almost sometimes doesn't really get to see the fruit always um, of, of his labour sometimes it comes afterwards I would say the big building blocks of this team have absolutely been laid uh, by, by Joe Schmidt and then the little bit of extras, uh, the I think the bit of attacking flair, the little bit of freedom that some of the players are playing with, um, you know, there are extra things that have been brought in subsequent to that. Uh, and I would say he's the last person you want to have in a coaching ticket opposite you. He's just an excellent, excellent coach. Now, it doesn't mean that Ireland can't overcome that or need to be fearful of that, but you have to respect that. And yeah. he's he, his record... While at World Cups were disappointing, I think 15, I explained, I think, why that was a bit of a harsh one to judge him on. 19 was not a good one to go out on. Um, and for, for, for lots of different reasons, he got, he got a few things wrong there, I think. But he is human. And I would say, if you look at his record, outstanding wherever he's been. It's funny you say he is human because at the end of 2018, and you touched on it there, there was a perception that he was this like rugby savant that literally he could... He is definitely that No, he well. is, but he did he... That, like, <laughs> What happened in 2019 was unfathomable to kind of the Joe Schmidt that had been built up in our own heads from listening to players talk about him to looking at the on-pitch results. And 2019 was such an about turn from the highs of 2018 that it naturally left on a bad note. And I think... Uh, he, do you know what, Will? He, he, he runs up such a tight ship that it, after that period of time, 
Well, that was going to be my point. Yeah, yeah, it's very difficult to have. Like the players clearly prefer the human touch that Andy Farrell. They clearly prefer playing in this environment than in Joe's environment. Not to say that Joe doesn't know more about rugby than Andy Farrell, but that they the, the players are on the record. But pretty- that's a very fine balance to to make. Like if things are going, if things are going well, that's great. But if Ireland hadn't, you know, if they'd had a few hiccups along the way and they maybe hadn't got the silverware to back it up. But the start um, of the Andy Farrell tenure was very mediocre. People were almost saying he should be replaced potentially. And but they they were still saying they were enjoying the environment. At the time, people were like, oh, gee, of course they'd say that. Like, but now looking back, you're like, okay, maybe they actually were enjoying it, even though they were playing like yeah, but look, stodgy enough stuff. And the like his record in the first eleven games was six wins, five defeats. The last thirty have been twenty-eight wins, two defeats. So the success has changed, but the mood, what they've lots have been saying has been uniformly the same, I think. Yeah, no, it has. I think that's fair. But I, I would say, you know, you still have to have that kind of disciplinarian streak. And there's no way that Joe Schmidt, you know, wasn't a massive impact on Andy Farrell or brought him on as a coach. He just is, you, you, you couldn't be talking rugby around him for that long and not be going, wow, like this guy is impressive. He really puts in the work. He really understands the game. Like there's no way that that's not the case. So that's why probably it's been, we talk about misrepresented. Like I, I think... Joe is an unbelievably impressive guy, um, but he is difficult to work with. I think he, you know, he he has he likes to control a bit of everything, kind of like a bit of a school teacher versus say, like the difference is it seems like Andy Farrell might be a little bit more CEO type material where he can kind of go, okay, well, Paul, you're you're going to work out the lineups for it this week. It hasn't been going well, but I'm still going to trust you with that. I, I think Joe found those kind of things maybe a little bit more difficult. Um, sorry, I know he did. Yeah, and you know, I think he would always have found it hard to let people kind of you know, plot their own path. He just loved to plot, you know, have as much input and control over his own destiny as possible, which is very difficult in a team environment. But he did it brilliantly for a really long period of time. And it worked really, really well nearly everywhere he went to. So it's very hard, but but very, very hard to see, you know, why he wouldn't be trying to implement that again. You know, that kind of way, that's always worked for him. And like, you know, I think that plot for, for most people in most walks of life, working harder, having as much control as possible and as many things in your destiny is a nice place to be. But there are times where it's just, you know, when it's not going well, it's bloody difficult to be in that environment and to have so much pressure on you. Um, and I think that probably compounded why things went wrong in 19 for him. Uh, aside from probably some some a little bit extra, you know, that little bit of loyalty I think he had to a few guys who he probably should have said, look, it's past, unfortunately, you need to move on. For a guy who was so ruthless all the way through, um, I thought he was ruthless in the wrong places at the end, like Devin Toner, and wasn't ruthless then in other places, you know. So it was kind of an interesting way he finished, you know. Do you want to come in, Jonathan? Yeah, I think that's actually interesting. Because one thing that's all I've always found curious is the idea that people had run out of, whether it be patience or whether it be uh, just the ability to work in that environment. The thing that I always wondered why or how that could be the case was obviously the Leinster guys have been working with him for a lot longer than everybody else. So why did the Leinster guys not get that fatigue that apparently everyone got in 2019? So I think what like what Luke's saying is interesting because it, that comes down to selection rather than just, oh, we can't work in this environment anymore or, you know, we've reached our end of the tether. We've reached the end of the tether with how demanding this guy is because... For that to be the case, then surely the Leinster guys would have experienced it. Uh, you you got to be winning. I think winning always helps, Jonathan. You know that was. I think that's mm. the key thing. When he, when you're winning, it's easier to be, you know, to have someone as demanding because you can kind of see the results. But when it goes a little bit wrong or awry, that's probably where you, you you get a little bit exposed. And if you haven't built up really close friendships or anything like that, that's probably where the gap finds you. You know that kind of way. If you're if you're in Joe's shoes, people kind of say, "Well, look." No, I'm not going to take this now. This isn't working, you know. And I think I always found at the start of his career, and it's different in international as well. You just don't have, you have smaller windows of players. So you probably have to be a little bit more loyal than you would be at club level where you can see people week in, week out. Like this was a guy who nearly dropped Brian O'Driscoll, you know. Uh, now ended up you nearly. Know, yeah, no, he, he did. No, nearly. Him. No, it was close. Like Owen O'Malley had a brilliant yeah. game over in Claremont. He rated Owen O'Malley really, really highly, uh, and almost selected him ahead of him uh, for a key uh, Heineken Cup game against Cardiff. It was a real touch and go decision. So um, I would say he really lit a fire under Brian Driscoll. But he always did that brilliantly well. He wasn't afraid to drop big players in big games, and that was something that I feel like he probably felt he couldn't do as much in the international jersey, just because he doesn't have eight weeks with you to train you up for the big Heineken Cup game. You know, you come into camp two weeks before, you kind of have to go, well, who's delivered for me before? And I felt he, that was probably a little bit of a trap for him towards the end as he was just a little bit too loyal. But look, make no mistake about it. The guy is a brilliant, brilliant rugby mind. One of the all-time greats, I think. One of the reasons I think that... Sure I, doesn't, uh, sorry, like I'm no. sure he doesn't spend too much time thinking about it or anything, but like, you know, he didn't have Hugo Keenan or Doris... 
or Shane, you know, those guys were sort of just hadn't emerged yet. They were a year or two away. And I think those guys really would have refreshed the team around then. If you look at, you know, we're talking about loyalty and maybe players that he picked a little bit too long, you know, there wasn't really a huge amount of those players putting their hands up to take those jerseys away. Like there would have been, you know, two years later when all those guys sort of came through and uh, have done so well and been such a huge part of Andy Farrell's thing. I think one of the things about Joe's legacy as well is that people just enjoy watching this Ireland team play more. They play more exciting rugby. They, you know, they they got four bonus points out of five in the Six Nations and they narrowly missed out in the Scottish one. It's just a more enjoyable brand to watch. So even when Ireland were having success, everyone reveled in it. But there were people at the time being like, you know, the box kicking, the, the, that kind of pressure game. Like, a lot of people at the time did say, oh, it's not the most enjoyable style to watch. Whereas I think everyone who watches this Ireland team, it's like, you know, as good as a, an international team can play almost. Yeah, it is. Look, it's great on the eye. And I think, you know, John makes a good point. Like the personnel, if you think about the people who've come in, uh, I think about if you, if you think about where Leinster have been, which is kind of a key cornerstone of, of this team and, and the brand of rugby that Leinster play, um, you know, that's actually been a pretty important part. And that, you think about the coaching quality, like Lancaster and Colin have done an unbelievable job there. You had Felipe Contopomi, who's obviously the coach in, in Argentina at the moment. So you have all these kind of guys who were, you know, helping funnel through to, to, to Farrell. As you say, he probably just missed a window of some of these young guys who... Ha, play with that little bit of abandon, have the skills, back themselves in tight circumstances. You know, you think of Keenan, who, who, who Jonathan mentioned as well, you know, the sevens and some of the guys who've come through that side of things, uh, you know, those guys, uh, you know, you're seeing come there at the, the prime of, of, of their kind of playing abilities as well. So um, he was just a little bit unlucky, you know, never got to see the next crop through. Um, I would argue there was still a few guys that he probably just overlooked because he didn't like it. Like the Zebos and that would have made a big difference, I thought, to, to the likes of Joe's team just because he would have opened up the pitch to them. But um, I think he did get a little bit unlucky with the timing there as well. So, um, And I think he probably didn't have as much underneath him in the provinces at that period as well. They weren't playing as well towards the end of his ten towards the Sorry, towards the end of his tenure, they were in Leinster. But just, you know, the 15-16, a lot of what was going on that was great in Ireland was because of Joe. Uh, and we were we were really focused on that, I think. So, um, you know, I think Farrell is getting the fruits of lots of good work underneath them and lots of, you know, lots of planning. You think about where Ireland were at the time he was there, like the reliance on Mike Ross, and you look at all the quality underneath now, Porter coming through, but, you know, the reliance on Healy for, for Schmidt, you know, massive. You think of the hooker situation now. I mean, th those two guys are probably two of the best players in the world in that position. So um, timing, as, as, as Jonathan said, is a very important thing in all this as well. And it gives us a little bit of perspective. But I will say, you have to give the coaches of this team credit too. You know, you still have to get, you know, a, even if it is a perfect blend of youth and experience, you still have to get them all singing off the, hem, the same hymn sheet. And, and that's how you get, you know, consistent performances. And that's why I think this Irish team are so good in the eyes because they've been able to do that and get this out of the team. Yeah, well said. Well, we're going to finish with predictions now. The, the, the best time of the show. We, we actually could talk for another hour easily and go through all the other quarterfinals, but we're just going to focus on, on Ireland versus New Zealand. I'm going with Ireland. Jonathan, I think, as I said earlier, I think they're primed to finally get over that quarterfinal hurdle. I think they have a better starting team. I think they have a better bench. I think they're in better form. They have better coaches. So all in all, I think they're well set up for this weekend. How do you see the game going? Yeah, the same. Like I think we can separate this from all the other quarterfinals apart from 2011. Like Luke sort of outlined by 2015 is different. But I think this is the second quarterfinal that Ireland have been in that they're going into it and they should win. Like we talk about underperforming and they obviously did underperform to get beat by as much as they did, but they're going into this one and they should win. And I just think that the level of confidence that they've had, a lot of what Luke talked about there and instilling that mentality that's come through, uh, through Farrell and stuff, I don't see them tripping up on the history. I think uh, they're probably going to win... I would say in the region of 10. I think it'll be close in the last quarter. I think it'll be a live game, but I think Ireland get the last score. Ooh, 10. What are your thoughts? Have you said yours yet? I you think Ireland, what do you have? You got a point? Uh, I, no, points yeah, differential? I think uh, six or seven. I, I, th I think they win, and I think I don't think it's in doubt in the final minute or two. I think Ireland, I think the last five minutes is a kind of a zombie field about the right vibe going around. I'm going oh, to be in Paris. I've already been in person no. for two quarterfinal defeats, so I'm hopefully not going to complete a hat trick. I was in. New Zealand for the Wales game, which as Jonathan mentioned there, that was a sickener. I was in, I was at the Argentina game as well. 
Ah, oh, okay. What am I going? I, look, I think Ireland win and I think it's four points. I actually think it is a tight game. I think Ireland come out on top. I think the Irish pack just have a little bit of an edge. I think our front row is better. I think our back row is better. And I think because of those two things, we edge it out, but it's, it's a tight one. And like, we have to defend out of our skins against these guys. We just have to, you know, it's, it, it's going well, to That's the thing that we actually didn't really touch on. They are still absolutely lethal if you do not defend well. Like, so you think I'm saying the they're not a great New game. Zealand team, but yeah, like, think yeah, exactly. screaming through, you know? Exactly, like, like, uh, that's why, like, the confidence, as I said, is predicated on Ireland hitting a 10 out of 10 or a 9.5 out of 10 performance. Anything less than that, they will be beaten. So I completely agree. Yeah. And I think, I, look, you, they always, you'd always be nervous against New Zealand just because they have some guys who can, who can break the game open for you. Um, and they probably still might have a slight edge in terms of the athletes in the back, just the pure athletes. I think we might actually have better rugby players than them. Um, but um, it's a bloody tight game for me. you know. And I think if we... You know, if it's parity, it's scrum, and we get a little bit of dominance in line out. I just feel that that'll edge us with a strong defensive performance because I do feel like they will give us a few opportunities, and I do think we have the quality to put them away once or twice. I think we get one or two tries at least. But can't yeah. believe it's only Tuesday. I'm nervous now. I feel like ah, I know. All this for the last a deep hour and fifteen minutes. <laughs> Jonathan, give us a ten pointer. You're breaking my heart here. Oh, the confidence yeah. I, I like his bullishness. I like his bullishness. <laughs> I'm going for Northern Hemisphere clean sweep by the way, but we don't have time to get into the other games. Unfortunately, okay. I'd like to thank Luke and Jonathan and Justin Marshall for joining us on this week's episode of the Left Wing Podcast. We'll be back later in the week with plenty more podcasts and another reminder that on October 19th, we will be at the Three Olympia Theatre for a special live show. Myself, Luke, Stephen Ferris and Bernard Jackman. All the information you need for that is at ticketmaster.ie. Search the Left Wing for tickets there. So until next time, thanks so much for listening and goodbye. Listen and follow the Left Wing wherever you get your podcasts.